Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back everyone to Private Education. I am Ashling and yes, Andrea is still swanning around Los Angeles um, and will be actually for another three weeks, which I remain very bitter about in case you can't tell by my voice. Um, we've had a rake of DMs recently on the subject of um, narcissism in relationships after last week's episode um, with Hazel Larkin. And I'm actually shocked uh, reading through those messages. I was really shocked by the amount of people who have direct experience with someone that they think has NPD. Um, but equally, I was delighted to be able to read messages from people who have moved away from those relationships and, and continue on to have healthy relationships. So it's really good. And thank you for anyone who sent in a message on that, because I know and I fully appreciate how sensitive those topics are and that you're sharing something <clears throat> that's extremely private between you and your you know the people you've been in relationships with so I really appreciate it um, and I did put up you might have noticed actually I put up this week a question box and asked you all for your questions on the topic of vaginismus which many of you listening probably or possibly don't know much about and I'll be honest I didn't know a huge amount about it I kind of had an idea what it was I kind of, I've known a couple of people who I think have had it. Um, but the first question was, the first question that came in was, what is it? Um, and to answer that question, plus the many more that came in, I am joined today. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Maria McAvoy. Welcome to Private Education, Maria. Thank you, Ashley. Great to be here. And now to just, I just want to introduce you briefly um, and explain why she really is the only person I could have had on about this topic and um, she's a psychology lecturer who has a PhD in psychotherapy um, and her um, PhD. I actually don't um, I'm not a practitioner. Oh you're so not okay. She's in, in research yeah so Sorry, I'm talking research. about my research today and I can point people in the right direction for good services but I'm not oh, therapist myself. Sorry yeah. yes so you have a PhD and your, your research for your PhD focused on Irish couples who have experienced vaginismus and the healthcare professionals who work with those couples and kind of um it was kind of it seemed like it was twofold just kind of to broaden the understanding of the condition and then also to increase the sensitivity of care around vaginismus so for the very first question that came in um for Dr McAvoy was what is it so that's probably the best place to start I'll let you take it away yeah thank you um well vaginismus I like to say it's the experience of being able to unable to have penetrative sex. If you look in a lot of textbooks, it will define vaginismus as the spasming of the vaginal muscles when intercourse is attempted. But I'm not too fond of those definitions because it concentrates too much on the spasm. And I'll talk a little bit about the medical understanding of vaginismus um, during the podcast because it concentrates a bit too much on the physical aspects and not on the psychological aspects. 
So for anybody who experiences vaginismus, um, there is a difficulty when somebody goes to try to have intercourse, the muscles do tense and tighten up. But again, you know, what is the reason for that? You know, looking for the reasons behind it was why I did the PhD. And it's very important to say there's two different types of vaginismus. So there's a primary type and a secondary type. The secondary type is where somebody has previously had very pleasurable sex and, you know, possibly have had children, you know, and, and everything's been fine. And all of a sudden the muscles start tensing and there's pain. Now, there could be all sorts of reasons why this might happen to a woman. Um, it could be something like a traumatic childbirth. It could be a rough smear test. It could be hormonal changes during menopause. It could be any number of reasons why all of a sudden sex becomes painful and the muscles then try to prevent uh, penetration as a result of that. Um, the other type is called primary vaginismus and it's also known as lifelong vaginismus. And this is where a woman has never ever been able to tolerate penetration. And typically when you have primary vaginismus, as a teenager, for example, you would not have been able to insert tampons. Um, if you tried to go for a smear test, it probably would have been impossible. So it's not just sex, it's any sort of uh, penetration of, of vaginal area. Um, and so they would both have very kind of different psychological reasons behind them because if it's lifelong, you know, there hasn't been a bad experience. So, you know, there, there could be other things going on. And just while I'm on the subject of that, there's so many misconceptions around vaginismus. And one of the main ones is that it's caused by sexual abuse. So I always try to start with saying that is not supported by research at all. So okay. the vast majority of women with vaginismus have not had any abuse in their past. Yeah. And I think from, just, just from a, a Google, yeah. like, you know, when I was kind of doing research and yeah. looking things up, that, that did seem to keep cropping up as in, yeah. um, you know, the link, I suppose, or yeah. the, the myth of the link between vaginismus and sexual abuse. So that is not the case. That's not supported by research. No, it, okay. I mean, it might be the case for minority of women, but for the majority, yeah. it isn't. But okay. unfortunately, you will have even GPs saying this to women. Mm -hmm. okay. And that's a real problem because then women will go to an appointment that might be suggested to them. And then they'll say, OK, did this happen to me? And I'm repressing it, you know, so all yeah, kinds of, of um, you know, trauma can be set up by misconceptions about vaginismus. So that's the first thing I'd like to say, because it actually prevents women from going for help because they're afraid that, you know, somebody will accuse them of that or, you know, that course, perception yeah, of will be there of them. Yeah. Um, can, I just, can I ask yeah. just the difference because I um, from some of the messages I was getting there yeah. seems to be a bit of confusion sure. about what is vaginismus versus what is pain during or post penetration mm. so what kind of is the line as you would see it well this has been made much more complicated there there used to be two different um sexual disorders one was called vaginismus and one dyspareunia so vaginismus was the tightening of the vaginal muscles whenever intercourse is attempted and that might be with or without pain it might be even the anticipation of pain like things actually happen there is no pain but yet the muscles tense in anticipation of with dyspareunia usually sex is possible penetration is possible but there is pain with sex Okay. Now, in the latest kind of um, medical uh, diagnostic manual, they've actually combined the two into a gentle um, pain penetration disorder, pelvic pain penetration disorder. Um, and so all of these labels are really confusing for women because what they've done is combined vaginismus with dyspareunia. Mm -hmm. But they're actually quite different things because typically with dyspareunia, a woman 
will be able to tolerate some sort of penetration, but it might be a bit painful, but they can kind of stay with it and maybe use lubrication and those kinds of things. With vaginismus, it is impossible to even get the, the tip of the penis in, you know, or okay. even something smaller, the tip of the finger, anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, so there can be pain with vaginismus, but not necessarily so. Mm -hmm. you know? Okay. Yeah. And the other difficulty is when women go to GPs, typically they will insist on making a diagnosis by using an internal examination. Now, for women with vaginismus, this is an absolutely terrifying prospect. And I don't think it's necessary because if a woman says that if she's trying to have sex and she's tensing up, that's enough to get a diagnosis of vaginismus. But for the, with the training that medical doctors have, there's this need to confirm it by the internal examination. So when I was interviewing women for my study, they were saying, you know, GPs were insisting on doing the examination. And, you know, when they couldn't then tolerate the examination, the GP might be very dismissive of them. They might be very sharp with them. You know, the main thing GPs said to women, it seems, is go home and have a glass of wine and get over yourself. That seemed okay. to be the main thing they said, right? So really kind of dismissive. I, I, I think with GPs as well, anyone, I mean, probably most people who are listening will have been to a GP in recent years. And what I find with GPs is it's very much, you know, a five, six minute appointment. And for something that intimate and complex and personal and, you know, I don't want to say embarrassing because I wouldn't want anyone to feel embarrassed, but I do feel that there is a little bit of embarrassment with people oh, yeah. with GP about the, this type of thing. Anything kind of um, intimate is, you know, has kind of for Irish people as well. We're but yeah, particularly talking about sex. <laughs> no, we aren't, yeah. you know, and that's, you know, that's part of the reason I uh, do the podcast is because, you know, to get these conversations um you know out there and to, to have the those discussions and feel comfortable even I mean from a lot of people even the thought of saying the word vagina to their doctor is embarrassing and they're medical professionals do you know yeah. so I think a five minute GP appointment is probably doesn't feel the most comfortable place to bring that uh, bring that up and yeah. even then the fear of what a GP might do an internal examination yeah would deter anyone um, absolutely from yeah. going if they suspected they might have it and um, yeah. it would be a difficult situation um, and I think you know GPs like it is a five minute appointment but GPs in that five minutes could refer on to good psychosexual services you know exactly, yeah but the problem is with their training what they usually do if they do refer on and they don't you know routinely do this but some women I spoke to had been referred on to gynecological services mm -hmm. and they had an appointment whereby quite a few of them I spoke to were kind of knocked out and stretched under anaesthetic. And then the gynecologist would say to them, right, there's nothing physically wrong with you, go home and have sex. So they're all about looking at, well, is there anything physically wrong? Is there any problem with the muscles? Do an examination and send them home. And women had been absolutely traumatized by that experience. Mm. But that's again, my problem with this focus on the spasm. That's not the issue. You know, the spasm is there primarily because the woman feels unsafe. Mm -hmm. penetration makes her feel unsafe and so you need to get behind the reasons for that yeah and you know then you know when the woman feels safe in the encounter mm -hmm. the spasm will lessen on its own once yeah. the woman feels safe but if she feels like she's under threat yeah and you know she's being forced to have these kind of examinations that is not going to help so actually it makes the spasm stronger rather okay. than yeah helping it in any way i yeah. have i have um I have a message here actually just while we're on the subject of kind of yeah. going to the doctor about it I have a message yeah. here for a listener and um, so she says when I didn't know what this was 
I went to the well woman, aged 17, to speak to a doctor. Her solution was to penetrate me with a speculum and she wouldn't stop until I was almost crying in agony. This naturally made me avoid smear tests until I was 27. Stupid, I know. Smear tests are never comfortable, but this, or sorry, but with this vaginismus, it's hell. My advice, find a very good GP who understands vaginismus, is patient and won't try five or six times causing you severe pain. And then I messaged back and I just asked, you know, was it sorted? You know, was there any progress made? And she said, no, pain is still so bad. I can't even use tampons. And then she says, thankfully, being a lesbian, I never felt the need to rush to get it sorted. And I know there are treatments available. I've gone to therapy, but alas, it's always been that way. And then I just loved this. She said, however, we don't call it vaginismus. We call it scared fannyitis because you've got to find the funny side of these things, which I mean, it's not funny at all. But when, you know, this 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 person and this couple are obviously experiencing it and going through it and their experience at the doctor was obviously very negative given that and this is where I think that that kind of uh it comes becomes a bit dangerous because she avoided smear tests until she was 27 which you know that's not advisable obviously but I'm so sorry that you had that experience yeah yeah and unfortunately it's not uncommon but I don't think that that should happen to any woman you know I mean this whole issues of consent you know and really somebody has vaginismus you need to go very, very slowly if an examination is advisable. Now, there are, you know, doctors who are trained in psychosexual um, therapies and they can do what's called a therapeutic examination. So, for example, if a woman was concerned that there was a physical problem, some women with vaginismus think that there's no opening um, you know, okay. um, because maybe they have never um, touched their own bodies, which would be very common as well. Right. Yeah. So if they have concerns like that, there can be a therapeutic examination where there's a doctor trained in psychosexual therapy that will go very, very slowly, give you a hand mirror, you know, show you everything she's doing, ask for your permission for everything, discuss everything that's happening. And for some women, that is really, really helpful, you know, and that that can be helpful. But not every woman needs that, you know, um, and it should be up to them if they request it, that's fine, but it shouldn't be par for the the course, you know, and what I would say to that, Girls, there, there is, you know, really good help out there. There are um, therapists trained by the College of Sexual and Relationship Therapists. So, you know, typically, they, you know, the therapists that would go to the UK, they would be trained, come back to Ireland. And I have links to them on my website. So right. if you were to get in contact with somebody like that, they're properly trained. There's also the Healthy Living Centre in DCU. They are experts in psychosexual services as well. You know, so there's really good services listed on, on my website vaginismusresearchireland.com if she would like to get in touch with somebody who knows and another thing I picked up on that she said was she went to therapy it didn't help mm-hmm. going to general therapy is not going to help with this you need somebody who really knows what they're talking about you need somebody okay. trained in sex- psychosexual therapy and in couples therapy you know so make sure yeah. that you go someone who's really properly qualified okay and so, I will I'll put um all those yeah. links I'll put the link to your website and those kind of things in the yeah. notes um so that anyone who's listening to this have access to all those links uh, very conveniently uh, when you. they're finished uh, listening. Um, so is it true, actually, that Ireland has one of the highest rates of vaginismus? Did I hear that or read that somewhere? Yeah. Um, so my study was the first study in 40 years. Uh, the pre- previous studies um, were done in 1979, 1986 by psychiatrists and psychosexual clinics in Dublin. Um, at the time, 
um, there was over 40% um, rates of vaginismus presenting at the clinic. So in the total of the, the, the sexual problems they had, vaginismus was over 40% of those. And they reckoned it was about five in every thousand marriages. But they also acknowledged that most of the women came from the greater Dublin area and not a lot. They didn't see a lot of women from rural areas. So they anticipated that in the general population, it was much higher. Yeah. And now, can I just say it's yeah. so it's it's such a it's such a um an obvious, you know, these studies were done in the 70s and 80s because yeah. they, they refer to marriages. They did. As, That's as right. Opposed to, yeah. you know, just couples or just individuals who might. Oh, no, it know, was heterosexually married couples. Yeah, that it's, was, so, it's so heteronormative yeah. and, and, and so limiting and limited. Um, which just reflects kind of the time that it was done. Yeah. I, and that was the only data we had. Yeah. yeah, but it's kind of important to say as well why they went to the clinics. They went to the clinics mm. because the women couldn't conceive. Yes. So it was nothing course, to do with sexual yeah. well-being. It was mm. nothing to do with the intimacy and the pleasure of the couple. It was she can't have a baby. Yeah. So that's another thing, you yeah. know, to do with, you know, our, our concern. Yeah. 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 Uh, Catholic kind of ethos at the time. But so... You know, the study in both of the studies then kind of looked at the social reasons why the women might be presenting vaginismus. And they said that Ireland was really unique in Europe in terms of how we interpreted Catholicism. So we had this kind of ultra orthodox perspective yeah. of Catholicism that nowhere else really had where we were so strict on things like premarital sex um, you know, abortions, divorce, you know, all those things, everything was banned, everything was forbidden. And there was no social contact prior to marriage. You know, men and women were kept separate. Um, you know, you weren't supposed to, you know, go out on a date like without being chaperoned nearly, you know, before yeah. marriage. You know, there's yeah. a real concentration on virginity and also the reputation of the woman. Her reputation directly spoke to the reputation of the family. So from a very young age, the girl is being told, you know, what you do reflects on the family. So if you get pregnant and you're not married, the shame on the family would nearly kill us all. You know, it's your yeah. fault and the guilt. And, you know, the boys didn't get this guilt. It was only the girls that got the guilt. And then we had the Magdalene Lawn, <laughs> we had all sorts of shaming around, you know, women that, you know, were seen to be promiscuous or, you know, having sex outside of marriage. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the psychiatrist writing the papers at the time thought that it was our strict interpretation of Catholicism that led to such high rates of vaginismus. Now, you know, nothing is known then about vaginismus in modern day Ireland mm. in terms of statistics because nobody's taken any. There was one survey done by Relate in Northern Ireland in 2002 and they said that vaginismus was the second highest female sexual dysfunction still presenting at their clinics. Okay. We know nothing about the Republic of Ireland at all. In would, terms you, would you kind of, from your own research, would you anticipate that those, those uh, statistics would be similar in Ireland? Well, um, I spoke to a couple of psychotherapists and they said that they could make their living only dealing with vaginismus. So if they dealt with no other sexual dysfunction, they could see a woman with vaginismus every day. So, you know, they, they said yeah. you know, they would never run out of business because so many women in Ireland actually had vaginismus. So it still seems to be a particular concern, um, you know, according to the therapist I spoke to anyway. Yeah. And would it, would it be something that, like, is it one of those ones where, you know, 5% of women are reporting that they have it, but you suspect that the amount of people who have it are more than what is being reported? Do you know, do you know what I'm well, getting? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, one of the things is, as you said, a lot of people don't know what it is. So, I mean, you could have vaginismus and not know a name for it. And the other thing is that came out of my research and other research as well, is that typically women with vaginismus don't tell anybody 
They don't tell their friends, they don't tell their family. Typically, the only person who will know is their partner and maybe a GP, but they don't typically talk about it because there is a lot of shame and stigma attached to sexual dysfunction, if you want, yeah. you know, for want of a better word. Um, so women kind of keep it to themselves and, you know, they may not, they may avoid relationships. They may not go into relationships at all um, because it is a concern for them. So most of the women that I spoke to said it was a really isolating, lonely condition and they just felt like they were the only ones in the world who had it, you know, yeah. and some GPs will say to women that this is relatively unique, you know, and they won't tell them how common it is and they kind of make them feel unusual when yeah. in fact this is a very common experience for Irish women. Of course, yeah. yeah. You know the way you were saying about religion and um, that kind of orthodox uh, mm. Catholicism, is it similar or have you has your research shown it to be similar in like it, other orthodox religions? Mm. Like, um, yeah, do you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I reviewed about 50 years of literature on vaginismus for my thesis yeah and some of it looked at religions from around the world and it doesn't matter which religion you're talking about whether it's judaism or uh, muslim religion catholic christian religions and mm-hmm. um, they all have very very negative messages about female sexuality yeah yeah and um, and it, it has to do more with the orthodoxy of the religion rather than religion per se so there's no one religion that's any worse than any other in terms of those messages because they all tend to be fairly negative in that way but it's how strictly it's enforced so there's an awful lot of papers about vaginismus for example from iran and turkey that would have very orthodox muslim communities of course yeah um you know i remember reading a recent paper from georgia as well georgia has a very orthodox form of christianity and in georgia um you know vaginismus was a big concern as well and there's a big clinic for vaginismus in israel too and so it seems that the more strictly enforced the religion, the more problematic it is. Now, it's also important to say not everybody in those countries will have vaginismus. So it's not just the religion, but the key thing seems to be whether it's enforced in the home. Mm-hmm. So it's the way the messages are transmitted to the daughter from the family, especially okay. in terms of the really harsh messages like if you get pregnant, don't bother coming home. If you get pregnant, you'll ruin the family. You know, um, nice girls don't do that, you know, using very judgmental words like slut for, you know, extramarital um, sex, you know, all those things. So when you have families being very, very strict and quite often there is a religious ethos that underlines this. But when you get those kind of shaming messages in the family and very, very strict kind of harsh messages that kind of translate like, you know, if you get pregnant, don't bother coming home. So it's like you can either have a sexual relationship or you can have the approval and love of your family, but you can't have both. And that is, I mean, that's, that's a tragedy, you know, and that, that is, that's definitely something that even, you know, my generation, I was born in 1988. So like even my generation, we, there is still, there are still elements of that, you know, maybe not quite that harsh, but definitely, you know, sex being something not to be spoken about and, you know, not to be, not to be done and not to be kind of, um, it's certainly even now there's still like it shouldn't be pleasurable it's not for that it's for a function and that function is you know what I mean and I I would love to know if so you have said that it you know if there's no link between vaginismus and sexual abuse or history of um sexual violence or anything like that necessarily of course yeah you've said that it could be a religious thing as in or a societal kind of enforcement of don't you know don't have sex don't get pregnant that kind of thing that causes it 
can it just happen spontaneously? You know, if if the religious thing isn't there and sexual abuse hasn't been present, is vaginism something that just happens to some people? Um, well, I mean, there's all sorts of other reasons, like, you know, bad experiences, like if you had um, an injury, let's say, in the genital area, mm-hmm. or if you had a condition like um, endometriosis, very, very painful periods, irritable bowel syndrome, if you had a lot of pain in that area of your body, and you associated that area of your body with pain, you know, it, it could set up then a pain yeah. cycle um, if, if you went to have intercourse as well. So those things are also, those conditions are actually quite common as well for women with vaginismus. Quite a lot of women I spoke to would have had those other conditions as well. Okay. Um, so it could be associating that area of the body with pain. It could be associating that area of the body with shame. It could be a mixture of both, you know, it, it, but I don't know about it happening for no reason. Do you know what I, mean? I think? You know what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, can I, will I ask some of the questions that the listeners asked? Because oh, they sure, they yeah. do bring up some kind of good yeah. you know, points. And I was going to just talk about them generally, but we might as well answer the questions as we go. Yeah. So um, one listener has said, I never used to feel like this with my former partner, but I do with my new partner six months together. Should I be worried? So this kind of, for me, brought up the idea of, you know, This is obviously someone with secondary um, vaginism, someone who hasn't had it lifelong. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Um, and when she says, should I be worried? I, I get the feeling that there's, you know, something, there's an issue with the new partner, but I don't know if that's, accurate or how would you kind of take that that query yeah well I, I suppose there's not a lot of information there really to kind of yeah. and again I'd like to say you know I'm not a practitioner but yeah. there's all sorts of reasons why secondary uh, vaginismus can happen and you know some of them are things like you know changes to hormones as women have over time sometimes there can be a bit of dryness there you know if it's a new partner maybe it is the size of the partner is bigger, you know, it can be something yeah. like that. It's not necessarily a relationship difficulty, you know, um, because I think that's another misconception of vaginismus um, that sometimes therapists who don't know a lot about it might suggest to women that it's a problem with their relationship and they're unconsciously blocking the partner, you know, this kind of idea. Yeah, right? yeah of course. Um, so, you know, in my research, I interviewed couples and generally the research would say that couples with, with dealing with vaginismus, they actually have very good relationships. They actually yeah. have very sound relationships and quite often they're very sexual in other ways. So they say, okay, we're having difficulty with this one thing. 
let's explore the range of sexual experience we can have with one another. Mm -hmm. So they're not always sexually frustrated. They're not always having fights, you know, although, you know, vaginismus can affect intimacy. It, mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily, you know, um, cause breakup of relationships and things like that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I like to think of it as a couple problem rather than a relationship problem. It is something okay. that you can deal with as a couple. Now, if she's worried, as I said, there are properly qualified therapists that she can contact. And a lot of them are very amenable to seeing couples together, you know, because uh, vaginismus is a shared problem in the relationship. Yeah. And so the partner, I would presume, would be very welcome to attend. Most of the professionals I spoke to were delighted when the partner attended mm -hmm. because he could be either involved in the therapy or else he could just provide emotional support for the woman as she was going through the therapy herself. I do. I like that, though, that it's it's good to know for anyone listening that it's not reflective of a problem in your relationship, but it can be dealt with as a couple. So yeah. you and your partner can kind of, you know, address it together, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there's some kind of underlying issue with the two of you and how you get on or anything like that. And sometimes um, I think partners go through an awful lot of guilt yeah because you know, they think that they are the the cause of it you know yeah that was one of the messages i wanted to get out with the research like you know from my research and from interviewing the couples the partners were so supportive so lovely mm -hmm. but they you know held a lot of the guilt they they blamed themselves a lot of the time and it's a very very difficult situation for them as well like you can imagine if you are being intimate with the person you love and they're tensing up you know, that makes you feel, oh, my God, what should I do? Am I responsible? You know, all of those things. So partners go through a lot as well, and they quite often need support, too. Mm -hmm. and that's really that, 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 that brings me on then to another question that we have yeah. for listeners. So she wrote it in two parts, slightly more information. And um, so she says, what way should I explain to my partner about this? I have it, but he thinks I'm just not interested in sex. And then she says afterwards, they've been together a long time. So. I mean, for him to think that she's just not interested in sex, I get the impression that maybe she hasn't explained that it's a it's a mm -hmm. physical kind of and mental yeah. blockage, I guess. Um, and she's just kind of avoiding it, maybe like just putting up a barrier and just been like, yeah, batting them off or, you know. So what way should she explain to her partner about it? Would you advise? Well, you know, with the, the vaginal spasm, like if you think about trying to hold in your stomach muscles, you know, how long could you do that without pain? You know, the spasm of vaginismus is so prolonged that you could not do that consciously. So, you know, it's really helpful for partners, first of all, to know that it is an unconscious thing. The woman is not doing this on purpose. She actually can't do this on purpose. OK, this is something that is coming from her brain. She yeah. feels frightened in some way. OK, and it generally predates the relationship which is another really important point to make. You know, a lot of the women that I interviewed said, no matter what partner I had, I would have brought this into the relationship because this was always with me. So the women with primary vaginismus, okay. they would have known from a very young age because even as teenagers, they couldn't have used tampons. Like they understood that they brought this with them into the relationship and okay. it was nothing to do with their partner. So it's a really good thing to say that to your partner, you know, so that he, he doesn't feel the, the guilt and, you know, all of that. Um, and, you know, that's one of the great things about psychotherapy, you know, if the partner could be involved, you know, that you can go through it together and really kind of understand what's going on. You know, now, as I said, I have a website, I have, you know, frequently asked questions and I have everything that I've written on it up on websites. So I really think it's a good idea to kind of 
read around it, you know, kind of be, just become a bit more knowledgeable about it as well. And that can be a really, really good thing. But I wouldn't advise generally Googling because you can come up with the ideas about sexual abuse and all those things. They're very prominent on websites, so be very careful. There is a website called vaginismus.com from the UK. That's quite good as well. And that's on my website too. But really just to get kind of more information about it so that he knows, you know, that it isn't to do with their relationship. It isn't to do with him. You know, this is something that she's trying to work through and he can be a support for her. Mm -hmm. Um, the next question we got in was, uh, I think I have it, but I'm too scared to go to the doctor in case it hurts. Yeah. How can I tell if I have it? So I think you've kind of, in a way, already answered that by saying that if you think you have it, you probably do. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, again, you know, you, you can go to the doctor, but again, you know, it, it's up to you whether you you want to allow an examination like you have fears as i said about you know um if, if there is pain if there is discharge if there's some sort of reason that you are worried about your your vagina you know you should get an examination you know in that case but if it's the case that you are just kind of tensing every time you know you go to kind of have penetration then that is the definition of vaginismus so you know you can go forward with that if you wish and then contact people who are properly qualified to help you to deal with it you know um and so as i said you know as you quite rightly said if you think you have it you probably do mm -hmm. is there a difference to your mind in i'm thinking about women going for a smear test is yeah. there is there a difference between going for a smear test and how that might go versus trying to have penetrative sex like mm. Can someone with vaginismus have a successful smear test? Or yeah, I, I would say it depends on the person doing the smear test, you know, okay. and how patient they are and how understanding they are of, of vaginismus, you know, okay. and it also depends how severe the vaginismus is as well, you know. So for some women, for example, um, there is, you know, if typically with the therapies, there's a physical side therapy and a psychological side and the physical side to the therapy might ask you, first of all, just to kind of place your hand on the outside of the vulva, just to kind of get used to it. Mm -hmm. And then they might ask you to try and insert maybe a little cotton bud. Now, even that might be impossible. Like the muscles are so tight that sometimes you can't even get in a little cotton bud or the tip of your finger or anything like that, you know? So in that case, smear tests would be impossible, you know? So my advice would be, you know, not to force yourself to have a smear test, you know it would be to go and you know get some help with the vaginismus to gradually lessen the spasm you know it's interesting that these kinds of disorders are called sexual dysfunctions but actually they are very functional because what the spasm is doing is protecting you from harm so if women can kind of think about this as a healthy response your body is doing a really really good thing it sees a threat and it's protecting you so when you can change your mind about the situation and how threatening it is, when you can, you know, think about the messages you've been given since you were a tiny child, you know, about sex and about how shameful and, you know, dangerous it is and painful it is and all these messages about bleeding the first time and all of those things that you hear about, you know, they accumulate in somebody's mind. And when they go to have sex, they bring all of that with them and that creates the fear. So if you can then unpack that a bit and talk about it and go very, very gradually, you know, the, the type of therapy typically that's done is kind of a sensate focused therapy that gradually deepens intimacy. Mm -hmm. So you gradually, you know, go from maybe, you know, as I said, gentle massaging, trying to insert fingers 
maybe your partner's fingers, you know, doing intimate massages, you know, all of those kinds of things, you know, very, very, very gradually so that it becomes less fearful and you start to associate the intimate association or the intimate situation with pleasure rather than pain and fear. But that might take a couple of years. Mm -hmm. You know, it might take quite a long time. And the therapist would say in that time, you would take penetration off the table. So whether it's sex, smear test, whatever it is, you forget about that. And, okay. and couples often laugh and they say, well, you know, we're not having sex anyway. So what's the point in taking sex off the table? And therapists would say, well, you can't have sex, but it's always in the back of your mind. What if we're cuddling and what if it leads to something more? And it's always a looming threat in the mind. So if you can say you've absolutely no chance okay. of penetrating, this is not going to happen. This is not what we're doing. You can gradually you know, deepen your intimacy. And it's really important to say as well, you might decide that you don't want to do that at all. You know, for some couples, yeah. you know, they can have very fulfilling sex lives without having penetrative sex. That's a very small part of sex. Yeah. You know, and they might decide, well, that's not for me and that's fine as well. I just, I have another question here actually that I yeah. find to be really quite interesting. So she says, I had a boyfriend from 16 to 18 and we had sex. It was pleasurable, etc. We broke up. No, this is sorry this is all very it's all very short because yeah. she's trying to fit it into this question box we broke up she says she's no boyfriend between 18 and 28 now can't have sex did I bring on my own vaginismus I I don't think it's helpful to kind of use that kind of blaming language yeah, you know, like, yeah. no I, I, I agree yeah yeah no yeah I, mean, I think I think what what I'm reading or the subtext there seems to be yeah. she didn't have sex for a really long time and yeah. now doesn't feel able to have sex anymore so she's kind of wondering well not necessarily I mean yeah. some people don't have their first sexual experience until they're in their 30s mm -hmm. you know yeah. and and that you know I we have this idea that everybody loses their virginity in teenage years and that yes. is not necessarily the case you know yeah. there could be a number of things that happened during that 10 years mm -hmm. that changed the way that she felt about it or the, the way it feels to her you know and um, but certainly I, I don't think not having sex for a period of time is going to bring on vaginismus I, I've never you know come across that and I, I don't think that's the thing okay so something ha something in the meantime must have happened rather than just at the passage of time to yeah. kind of cause it to to happen and I mean some for some women I mean some women I interviewed they would have said that you know they might have seen say something like pornography that changed their the way that they saw sex and all of a sudden they found it frightening and threatening okay. you know because you know pornography is not always made for women and mm. um, quite often it's very heteronormative in its orientation it can be very focused on the penetration and say if you were if you saw something like that and that frightened you I mean, that might be something that, you know, I'm, I'm just yeah. kind of speculating as to yeah. a whole host of reasons, but simply not having sex for a period of time is not going to cause vaginismus. Could the, yeah. the, could the anticipation of hmm. not having, ha having had sex for a long time, could that fear of the, you know, after so long doing it again, could that fear have caused it? If there's kind of a, like an anticipation and you're, you know, I mean, there's also performance anxiety that people go through as well and men had to have it as well and that can lead to erectile dysfunction where mm -hmm. you're so focused on the performance and will i be any good and you know all of these kinds of things yeah. um there's a term that that uh, therapists use it's called spectatoring and this is where you go to be intimate with a person and instead of being in the moment you're kind of nearly floating outside yourself looking at yourself and judging everything you do you know so that kind of spectatoring can be your worst enemy you know where you've kind of yeah. a dialogue running in your head oh what if this doesn't go well oh maybe you know 
I don't feel I feel bloated today. Maybe my body doesn't look as good. Oh, you know, is he looking at me? You know, all of these kinds yeah, of things, yeah. the body confidence issues. I mean, all of that can come into it as well, you know. And in the therapies, um, quite often a lot of therapists brought in mindfulness approaches. So they would kind of train the woman in a mindfulness practice that teaches you to stay with the experience rather than going into your head mm-hmm. in that way. You know, so you stop kind of running these scripts in your head and worrying about things. Mm-hmm. And you actually just kind of breathe. And if you're having these issues as well, to communicate them with, with your partner, you know, and say, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling it today, or, you know, just tell them your concerns, tell them your worries, because communication is also a key to working together on the vaginismus as well. Yeah. If you're not in a relationship and yet you, you're aware that you have this, yeah. um, and the, I suppose it would be difficult um, I can't speak obviously from per- personal experience, but I would imagine it would be difficult to know that you have it and to also be dating or trying to, you know, go mm-hmm. see people or or maybe have a one night stand or, you know, just have yeah. sex with someone. It, it might be difficult knowing that, you know, because if you're in a committed relationship or you're in a long term relationship, obviously sitting down with your partner and saying, look, I think I have this yeah. is somewhat easier than you know someone you've yeah. just met that you are dating that you're on maybe date three or four and you decide you want to sleep with them yeah what advice would you have for someone who who has vaginismus who wants to you know progress their sex life but feels kind of halted by the fact that they have this you know how could you progress from there if you weren't in a committed relationship where talking about it seemed easy yeah, yeah. well you know with the therapies for vaginismus you can do those as a single person Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily need a partner, so you can go and start on the road yourself, you know, and there's all sorts of um, sensate exercise as well that is about, as I said, touching your own body and becoming familiar with that and getting comfortable with that. But it's also important to say that a lot of women with primary vaginismus don't like to touch their own bodies. You know, from a very young age, they that has been taboo. They have never done it. And so if that's not something they feel comfortable with, that's okay too. I mean, they may never get to the stage where they want to touch their own bodies. They may feel more comfortable with their partner doing that, you know, so, but if somebody is um, single, they certainly can, you know, do the therapy with the therapist and, you know, get the kind of emotional support and unpack the reasons for the vaginismus and kind of, you know, bring themselves along in that way. You don't necessarily need to be in a couple to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And if you're, I mean, if you do start that process and, you know, you're going to the therapy and you're trying to slowly achieve kind of you know the ability to be penetrated how could you how could you broach that with someone that you're newly in a relationship with or newly seeing is is it just a case of sitting down and saying look I have this it's not a reflection on you you know it is a it is a condition that I've lived with etc like how would you advise someone introducing that into a, a new relationship or into the conversation with someone they're dating that's a tricky one um i i only interviewed couples that were together for a long time so more than three years so i had a full range of experience of dealing with vaginismus and going through the therapies or seeking help and all those things yeah yeah um, and again you don't know the two people involved i mean if you have somebody who is you know embarrassed by talking about sexual matters or you know yeah isn't very communicative it would be a very very difficult thing you know so i mean it might be the case where you show somebody a website or you know you say yeah. I think I have this you know and maybe the person might read it like if you don't want to actually sit down and talk about it if you find it too mortifying and embarrassing you know maybe say to the person look you know but the other thing is 
you know trusting the person as well like how well do you know them mm-hmm. do you, you know are you sure that you can share these intimate details with the person do you feel safe to do that you know because again it's important that you you know have ownership over your own information and the other person won't share it when you're trying to deal with it yourself too of course so as long as there's kind of trust between people you know yeah. if he's a good person you know he should understand and he will be willing to wait for the person that he loves um, and yeah. if, it's, if it's a relationship if it's a new relationship and he's very interested you know in in the person hopefully he will be supportive enough you know to put her first you know and to put the potential relationship first you know and not just the sexual aspects of it which are by no means the most important part of the relationship it is an important part but it isn't everything in the relationship yeah, of course so, yeah you know um, the last question that I have here from yeah. a listener is an interesting one about, uh, and it's genuinely something I di- that didn't occur to me um, until this question came in, and it's to do with childbirth. So um, she just says, does vaginismus make vaginal delivery impossible? Um, and I never thought about something coming out the way. I always thought mm. about going, yeah. you know, penetration coming in the way. But obviously, you know, if the muscles down there are that tight, like, can you have a vaginal delivery? And is that a conversation you might have to have with your consultant if you're pregnant? Definitely. Now, I have heard of um, medical practitioners saying to women that delivery kind of solves the problem. You know, once you've delivered a baby, sure, it's no problem. (laughs) Have penetration. And actually, that's not true. It's absolutely true. And there is a researcher called Tally Rosenbaum. She's um, she's she lives in israel and she's written a lot of papers she's a physiotherapist she writes a lot about sexual problems including vaginismus and she wrote a whole paper about delivery and childbirth um with vaginismus and she was saying that if you have vaginismus and you haven't been you know given any sort of treatment for it whatsoever it can lead to injury because you're trying to deliver a baby through tight muscles so she said that is not recommended you know if you find that you've had problems with vaginismus and you're pregnant and you know you have to deliver a baby you need, you know, people that will be very, very supportive of you. you need a medical team that knows about vaginismus, that will be very, very sensitive and compassionate when doing necessary internal examinations, for example, and um, will talk to you about every stage of what they're doing, will talk to you about the birthing process, to have a plan in place that you are happy with, you know, um, and to really, you know, have kind of separate therapies like maybe mindfulness therapies, psychosexual therapies that are operating in the background to coach you through every part of this, because the woman needs to feel supported and she needs to feel that she can do this. And there'd be an awful lot of fear and anxiety around it. And anxiety is a real problem for women with vaginismus. Like in all of the therapies, pretty much the anxiety is the first thing you need to deal with, you know, because there's very high anxiety, very high fear. And as I said, that is what is maintaining the spasm. So if you can make the woman feel safe, if you have a team of people around you, that are professional and confident and emotionally supportive of the woman, well, yes, she can have, you know, a a good experience, but that is really, really critical and crucial, you know, and that's one of the reasons as well, you know, that I, I, I did the research I did because I'm trying to, you know, talk to the medical profession and say that perhaps the way that they're looking at vaginismus is only one tiny part of it, the, you know, the, the spasm. And we have to look at a much more holistic way of dealing with vaginismus. So whether that's dealing with vaginismus itself, or as you said, the, the birthing process or whatever it is, getting pregnant. And um, the other thing I spoke to um, some fertility counsellors that, that, you know, for women going for IVF and things like that. Mm-hmm. And one of the difficulties there is that when a woman goes for IVF, because it's such a linear process, 
um, and because you're on the clock and all of those things, quite often the consultants will not ask, well, are you trying to have a baby in the conventional way? Are you and your partner having sex? They just say, right, there's a problem and off you go on the treadmill of IVF, you know, course, yeah. and that could be a really important um, time or somebody sits down with the woman and says, okay, do you know any reason you might not be conceiving? And then the woman might say, well, I can't have sexual intercourse with my partner. And then they could refer on to psychosexual, you know, um, programs before the woman rushes to get pregnant, you know? And again, that might need to be taken off the table for a while while she deals with the vaginismus. But once the vaginismus is dealt with, it typically does not reoccur because the therapists are teaching women skills going forward that even if there's a setback, like, as I said, painful childbirth, something like that. They have the skills and the tools to deal with those problems and, you know, to get back to their intimacy gradually again. So the couples I talked to said um, that they actually had learned skills for their whole life that actually, you know, really helped because I had women that had had vaginismus and then had babies. And they said there was, a, you know, a little bit of a setback, obviously, after having a baby, but we worked together, we had our communication, we had our intimacy, we had all the skills we learned in therapy, and we were able to get back together again. Mm -hmm. And typically, they said the vaginismus did not recur. In the that's a really, that's, that's a really like comforting thought. Yeah. <clears throat> I think for people, for anyone who's listening, if yeah. you decide to go through and start the process of, you know, getting treatment for this, it's unlikely to recur. That's a yeah. really, it's a really kind of, it is a nice, thing to think about because yeah. the last thing you would want is to go through it all and then for it to start again but like you said you get the skills to to learn how to deal with it and um, so I just want to direct anyone and um, I'm going to to wrap up now with Maria and Maria thank you so much this was just so interesting and um necessary I think and um, we were we were just talking before we started recording about how the conversation around this haven't been had enough and it's you know any chance to kind of platform something like this is important because it is affecting a lot of women and it is something that can be treated which yeah. you know and, and also it's it's not uncommon like if there's any yeah. woman listening with vaginismus you are not alone this is such a common problem for Irish women and it can be resolved so don't suffer in silence mm -hmm. find somebody who's properly qualified and do come forward for help because there is help out there yeah and as I said you can resolve this and your website is a really good resource because you have external links then to different places, different information, good information, which is exactly. important to uh, it's important to say. So remind anyone listening of your website again. Yeah. So it's vaginismusresearchireland.com. OK. And to follow you on Twitter and find kind of information there, it's. Yeah, it's at Irish Vaginismus. Brilliant. And if anyone is worried about the spelling of that, <laughs> I'll put it in the notes. <laughs> because yeah. I'm continuously messing it up. Um, Dr. McAvoy, thank you so much again for um, joining us on Private Education. And um, yeah, for anyone listening, those resources will be in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. And if there is anyone out there that's worrying about vaginismus, thinks they might have it, um, or is struggling in any way, uh, that sounded familiar as we were talking through there, um, Dr. McAvoy's website is a really, really fantastic resource. Um, and until next week, Stay safe, have fun, goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.